Welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Hey everyone, it's Mickey here. You're listening to Wikipedia, and this week on the podcast, I speak to Dr. Charles Price or Chad about bone health. Dr. Price is an orthopedic surgeon who was driven to find solutions when his mother broke her hip and subsequently died, and when both his wife and sister were diagnosed with osteoporosis. This led him down the path of researching nutrition compounds beyond calcium that allowed the bone to be resilient and dynamic. And that's the structure of the bone that provides flexibility, resilience, and toughness. So today on the podcast, we speak about this nutrition compounds, and in addition to that, discuss the utility of using DEXA for determining bone health, and Dr. Price has some really great views on that stuff as well. So we do like quite a big picture on bone health that goes far beyond calcium. Of course, we discuss the utility of those calcium supplements, but also really hopefully you get the idea that it is way more than just calcium that we need to be concerned about. Dr. Charles Price is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon and faculty member of the orthopedic residency program at Orlando Health. He is a professor of orthopedic surgery at Florida State University College of Medicine and has authored or co-authored over 60 scientific research papers. And he has a book as well, and I've got a link to the book in the show notes. Dr. Price is also a certified sports nutritionist by the American Sports and Fitness Association. I'll pop a link to Dr. Price's book, as I said, in the show notes and where you can find more information on Dr. Price and the supplement that we discuss in the podcast. Just a reminder, though, before we crack on into the interview, the best way to support the podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast listening platform. This increases the visibility of the podcast out there in amongst the literally thousands of other podcasts. So more people get the opportunity to learn from the guests such as Dr. Price that I have on the show because there's such a wealth of information. All right, team, let's head into the interview with Dr. Charles Price. It's not. I'm probably the only Charles Chad in the world. My uh, parents had a friend named Chad, and my father's name was Charles. So to avoid confusion, they named me, I have my father's name, but they call me Chad. Oh, <laughs> oh that's great. Um, it's been a constant source of confusion. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Um, so Chad, Dr. Price. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. And I'd, I'd just like to, to uh, start by um, getting you to tell us a little bit about your yourself and your background. Certainly. Uh, well, I'm a, an orthopedic surgeon, and uh, I've always been interested in bones my whole life. My mother was a re registered dietitian, and so I grew up with uh, awareness of, you know, proper diet. I didn't always follow her advice, but... Uh, but we had we talked about nutrition a lot at home, and I just took it as a part of everybody's life to have a balanced diet. And then um, I didn't really think about it much until um, two things happened almost simultaneously. My mother and my uh, wife were both diagnosed with osteoporosis. My mother, very severe osteoporosis, and actually she died after a hip fracture. So uh, I didn't want that to happen to my wife. And... Um, so, and I thought, well, gee, I'm supposed to be a bone expert, uh, and orthopedic surgeons have largely uh, not been a part of the osteoporosis uh, prevention aspect. And um, so I was doing some research work with uh, some bone graft materials and bone growth. I've had an academic career and published uh, over 100 papers, and so I've, I have a research background as well as a clinical background. And... Um, there was a type of bone graft that was working better than others that's called a silicated bone graft substitute. It's an artificial bone graft that had a silicon component to it. 
And uh, actually, during my early training, there was something called bioglass that was developed at the University of Florida when I was a resident. So I was aware of silicon as a potential bone graft healer. That got me interested in silicon and um, its potential for helping bone. And from there, I got into the nutritional aspects of bone that have been uh, overlooked. And uh, it just it just sort of hit me out of the blue that this is an ignored field for many, many aspects of bone health. Uh, vitamin D was becoming much more known at the time. So a number of things happened together in the later stages of my career that made me aware that, uh, you know, what builds bone? How does bone form? How does bone remodel? We, uh, what makes it do that? And I just developed a curiosity for nutritional aspects of bone healing, uh, bone formation, osteoporosis, all of those things that uh, were just made me real curious. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting you say that because I, I speak to a lot of people about bone health and um, and healing. And of course, we've known forever that dairy it provides calcium, so important for bones. And that is probably that plus, as you said, vitamin D, those are the two nutrients which people often think about with bone health and don't and we just don't have the general population doesn't have a really good understanding or awareness of other nutrients so I get a, a lot of worried people for example when they have to remove dairy from their diet for a um, food intolerance reason and they're really concerned about their bones but but then Chad like there are populations where they've never consumed dairy yet don't necessarily have issues with poor bone health how do we sort of explain that why so many people have poor bone health? Or Is at that least, the if, yeah, if you don't consume dairy, but you can still have good bones, like Asian populations, for example. Right. Well, that that's a great question because epidemiologically, or looking around the world, uh, there are definitely areas that don't have uh, as many fractures as others, and that that leads you to say, well, what's in the soil? What's in the food? What's in the diet that uh, protects them uh, more so than others? Um, First of all, I want to say that I don't, I'm not selling any products. I don't have any financial interests. It's just an academic uh, curiosity. I've published a few papers, but um, I, uh, it's, a, it's a joy to hear and talk about nutrition. Um, but um, those things, I, I've also you know, really looked at the literature of those, and there are definitely some things that happen. Another feature of uh, fractures is the shape of our bones. Uh, some people... If you look at the fem the hip, for example, the the hip joint, uh, you know the the ball sticks out from the shaft a little bit, and that's called the neck. It's attached to the neck. Well, someone with a long neck is going to be more likely to break than someone with a short neck. So there are some there are some uh, factors that may reduce the risk of fracture. So with regard to vitamin D and calcium, that was the first thing that struck me is that uh, all of the bone health literature, the osteoporosis literature, and all those things that we talk about are directed more at the calcium content of bone. And vitamin D helps mineralize bone, and bone is mineral. Uh, and we think of a cow, you know, if you go to the out into the wilderness or into a, a field, you'll find some bones, and they're calcium, and they're dry, and they're hard. But what they're lacking is the protein. And as uh, I've been very involved in bone growth and bone health, and um, I, I really think that the neglected part of bone health has been the the protein part of bone, which is collagen, like the collagen in your hair, skin, and nails. And people with osteoporosis tend to have brittle hair and brittle skin and brittle nails, which are collagen. Yeah. And um, if you take a wishbone, for example, you know uh, uh, you know what a wishbone is, right? They have yeah, yeah, wishbones yeah. in New Zealand, I'm sure. And, <laughs> um, you know, you break it and make a wish. Well, you have to dry it first. But if you take that same dried wishbone and soak it in vinegar for three or four days, it'll become rubbery because the vinegar takes all the calcium out of it. It's a fun thing to do. And, and you can take the calcium out of the bone and the protein or the collagen is left. It's very rubbery and you can't break it. So um, bone has resilience properties. Children actually have a lower bone density than adults do, but they don't break because they bounce. Their bones bend. So um, 
it's it's not just about the calcium content. And that was what was the focus of my study and research in that um, the DEXA scan, which is used to measure uh, osteoporosis, is simply a measure of the calcium content of your bone. And the the calcium content of a piece of chalk is quite high. And you can x-ray, a, you can pick up a bone from the field and go and x-ray it, and you can see the calcium in it. And you can do a DEXA scan on that. But it's much more brittle. So, Chad, what is – so? because I recently got a DEXA scan done because I broke my fibula bone um, earlier this year when I was running up a mountain, and I did this very um, unremarkable – yet um, uh, slammed half of my body onto my leg, basically. I can't, it was on loose um, loose ground and I did a very good fracture on it. Uh, and so I got a DEXA scan to have a look at the, the state of my bones, uh, in addition to a couple of x-rays to see how the healing has sort of gone over the last five weeks. Um, so when you get a DEXA scan then, um, you're getting a marker of the calcium in the bones, but how would you measure the, can you measure the protein content or the health of the bone in general? There are some methods developing that can show the bone structure, um, the lattice work of bone. Um, and one interesting thing is, you know, the, the inside of your bone is kind of spongy. Yes. And it's connected by a, a network of lattices. And when, when uh, women's bones become less dense, the the connecting little particles of the lattice, the spongy part, they get thinner and thinner and thinner until they break apart. And they're, they might be thick at the end, but they pencil down. Whereas men seem to lose their bone density globally. So the lattices stay intact more often than women do. And so there's a difference in the way the bone um, is absorbed in women and men. So a lot of those things, the spongy bone, and basically there are some ways, but there's not really a good way to measure um, the elasticity of your bone or the flexibility of your bone, what I call what's called the resilience or the toughness. So some bones, you can, you know, some women have very low bone density, but they don't break. And uh, men, men can have low bone density and not break because their bones may be resilient. And so that was the, and my interest was improving bone resiliency and resistance to fracture. Um, to get a little ahead of things, uh, Women that take vitamin K2, 100 micrograms a day, um, have a lower fracture rate than women that don't. And yet the bone densities can be the same. So if you give the same DEXA scan, uh, the same DEXA scan level, the same calcium content, somebody who, t who takes a supplemental vitamin K2 will have fewer fractures than someone that doesn't. So it's not all about density. Um, well, that's interesting because I um because I, I definitely want to get into the the details of what's important for bone and, and what places you know someone at risk and you've just mentioned one of those potential um sort of risk factors with regards to the um, prevalence of osteoporosis or osteopenia has this been increasing over time, Chad, over the, since your research sort of career? Well, it's really really uh, prevalent as you know in uh, Western cultures in particular. Um, and, uh, I, in the, in the world, it's about 10% of women older than 50 and, uh, 20% over 60, 40% over 70. So that's, it's pretty high. And I actually, I looked up New Zealand and uh, New Zealand has 1.6 million people with, with osteoporosis older than 50. And, uh, so it's, it's very prevalent, particularly in New Zealand, um, that, and is there any reason for for that sort of geographical difference? Well, um, obviously nutrition is a big factor, but many factors aren't understood. Um, I, I have a I have an opinion that's oh, not yes, based in fact. Yeah, but that's okay. um, but my particular interest has been in silicon, um, and maybe we could talk about silicon a little bit. Uh, air, we. A lot of our water management systems take silicon out of our water because silicon causes calcification of the pipes. And um, and early um, early breast implants were silicon capsules. There was, you know, uh, silicon. Anyway, they had a silicone, 
silicone is a uh, a plastic kind of thing made out of silicon, and it's silicone rubber, silicone, but that's not silicon. Silicon is the mineral, is the uh, actual element. But the silicone uh, capsules for breast implants would cause calcification around the capsule. So silicon has an effect in bone healing. And uh, we take it out of our water in most Western countries. Rural people don't have as much uh, fractures. Areas of the world with higher silicon content in their water uh, have lower risks of fracture and lower risk of osteoporosis. So um, you could name one element that would help would be silicon. Um, it's not. It's in some fruits. It's in bananas and things like that. But it's not very absorbable. Um, silicon dioxide or silicon. If you look at a nutritional supplement and it says silicon oxide, then that's a rock. Silicon silicon dioxide is glass or sand or granite. That's two thirds of the, it's. It's the second. You know, it's the Earth's crust. It's granite. That's silicon dioxide. And uh, I do get a little annoyed with um, multivitamin makers who say they've got two milligrams of silicon in their product, but when you look at the label, it says silicon oxide or silicon dioxide. Well, you might as well eat a grain of sand. Well, that's interesting because a lot of the magnesium supplements are are like magnesium yeah. oxide, and and they're attached yeah. and similarly very hard for us to absorb. Zinc oxide. Most of the oxides are rocks. They're easy to put in a pill, but they, and the, if you do a quantitative analysis, they can prove that it's in there, but you don't digest it. But the most uh, available sources of silicon in our diet are um, from certain waters. We could talk about that. And for beer. <laughs> you might like that. Yeah. So um, were you like on a scale of one to 10, how delighted were you to discover that uh, beer was a... Uh, available source of silica well the hops the the process of brewing hops and uh you know the hops and the barley and beer and and silicon is in nuts and grains and things like that which we don't eat enough of but uh so you can get it from uh, oatmeal and barley and grains and green beans and things like that but uh, the beer even the non-alcoholic beer has a higher silicon content but um so that that's how we find it. But the silicated bone graft substitute was what got my attention, and silicon was in the bone graft. It, what what happens? Um, can I get a little scientific or not? It's, Please do. I'd love it. Okay. Well, um, so why silicon? Uh, there's actually um, a study done in 1970 by a lady. Uh, at UCLA, and for some reason, I've forgotten her name, or Edith Carlisle. Edith Carlisle was a PhD at UCLA who said that bone won't form without silicon. And her research was overlooked until, I don't know, the, the mid-1990s. But she, uh, she showed that silicon was essential for bone formation. Now, silicon, you can do a mineral content of our bone, and we get calcium, but there's no silicon in it. But what happens is in the forming bone, there's lots of silicon. There's 25 times more silicon in forming bone than there is in mature bone. So is this is this including bone which is healing? Like, yes. is that what you mean by forming bone? Or okay, but also of course young bone as well. Young like, bone, like growing children. Yes. And, yeah. Cool. And uh, and if women that have been in osteoporotic laboratory animals that have been fed a silicon based diet get better bone and they've done that with racehorses too they put silicon in the in the diet of racehorses when they're growing and they found that they have fewer injuries more track time better training better compression so most of the thoroughbreds now have a silicon supplemented diet um, but because they have fewer fractures racehorses can develop a fracture on the track and uh, but so what silicon is is um so silicon's in the premature bone. We've known for a long time that if you if you compress bone, like exercise, is good for bone formation, because it's been shown that when you when you put stress on bone, it releases a negative electrical charge, and that negative it's a crystal, so it it creates a, an effect that releases a negative electrical charge, and that negative charge attracts the calcium ion because calcium is positive. Calcium is a positive ion, so. The negative electrical charge that's generated from exercising and compressing bone builds bone by attracting uh, uh, calcium. 
So where does that electrical charge come from? Well, silicon is used in computers as a uh, when you comp- and it's silicon is used in computers because it's a switch, and it's called a piezoelectric effect. That sw- silicon can release a negative electrical charge. So in forming bone, you have higher content of silicon. It generate if you exercise it, it generates a negative electrical charge, which attracts the calcium, and then it's done its job. Once the calcium is bound to the to the protein, then the silicon goes away. So you don't see any silicon in mature bone, and or very little. So it's it's like a catalyst that brings calcium to the bone along with exercise. So with regards to someone who might have osteopenia, osteoporosis, for example, in my DEXA, I had a my um, uh, one of my hips is fine, the other one has osteopenia. My spine is has got osteopenia. Um, taking something like silicon in addition to potentially other minerals and, and having other good things for bone that could enhance its um i could actually change what i might see on a dexa scan in a year two years three years time yeah i think well i think you would improve the toughness of your bone uh, because the and you would improve the quality of your bones because silicon also uh it strengthens the bonds of the protein it couples the protein in your bone better and strengthens collagen. Women that take a silicon supplement also have have differences in their nail, skin, hair, and wrinkles. So um, it's a, there's a cosmetic reason to take silicon. A lot of the cosmetic uh, ointments and things have silicon in them. Bamboo is a rich source of silicon. So you'll see a lot of products that have bamboo um, because uh, silicon can improve the scare hair, skin, and nails because it improves the strength of the collagen or the protein in the bone. So that would be um, topical. So you could, and, and this is not bone related, but for example, skin related, looking for a product that had silicon that you apply topically could also benefit your um, uh, skin or, you know, well, things like yeah, that. Yeah, most of those wrinkle reduction creams have uh, their bamboo or their something that has their coconut oils. Coconut is rich in silicon. And so the coconut oils, the, the bamboo type things, a lot of those creams, they probably don't know that they're putting silicon in it, but silicon is what's doing it. And um, so the high-end ones all have some kind of a silicon base to them. But the oral, the water is um is the best way to get it if you're not a beer drinker um but so the waters that have silicon in them are um largely uh waters through volcanic soils which surprised me a little bit about New Zealand because I think it's mostly volcanic isn't it yeah yeah we've got volcanoes everywhere but of course our water the you know the water that we drink is is filtered of things and and potentially they you were talking before how they silicon would be one of the things they might remove yeah so if you had a bottled water from new zealand maybe there's a local bottled water but fiji water icelandic um evian those waters have silicon content because they haven't been filtered out and there's some others too i, I just like i said i don't have a financial interest in it, but but and you don't have to drink a lot a cup of fiji water a day is enough. There are probably some local waters that are bottled at the source, and uh, and you can look online if it's a bottled water at the source. You can look online and see what the mineral content of those waters are, and you can find out. Perrier doesn't have any silicon in it. Uh, some some waters do, some waters don't. But um, yeah. Uh, and so, um, Chad, I have to say, I was delighted when I found out that beer had silicon in it because <laughs> yeah. I love a craft beer. Uh, how much beer would you have to drink in order to get your daily? Not much. Your, uh, your day's worth. Yeah. Not much. Not much. No, okay, it doesn't, doesn't that take, sounds, it doesn't that's take good. much. Yeah, it doesn't take much silicon. <laughs> Probably, um, you know, three or four beers a week. That's reasonable and moderate. Yeah. Another another of my uh, sort of favorite uh, flags to wave, if you will, is that um, vitamin D and calcium are sort of the low-hanging fruit. They're, they're obviously associated with bone health, and they're essential. But when we do research, we isolate all the other variables. And so you'll give somebody, you'll give a group vitamin D, and you'll give a group not vitamin D. And then you show that the vitamin D is better. Well, then you think, oh, this is the magic button, you know. But but it's it's only, that's the only nutrient they looked at. And 
and nutrition, as you know, is a symphony of things, and they work together. So there's not a single bullet, and silicon is not the magic bullet to prevent osteoporosis any more than vitamin D is the magic bullet. It all has to work together. The vitamin D produces something called osteocalcin, which is the binding unit for calcium to bone, and vitamin K improves the quality of osteocalcin. Uh, some boron, uh, which is in nuts and fruits, boron doubles the half-life of vitamin D, so it makes it last longer, um, and it, it enhances uh, bone formation, and we don't get enough boron, we don't get enough silicon. There are a lot of those minor things that we don't get enough of, and they're hard to put in a vitamin supplement some of them like boron oxide, calcium oxide, silicon oxide, they're easy to put in a single capsule. But if you start getting an absorbable form, it's a much bigger molecule. So you got to take 10 pills of, uh, of boron citrate or something. Oh, that's interesting. Because I, I have um, since, because this is how I came across your research, actually, because, because of my bone, I'm like, right, I'm going to do everything I can to help the healing process. And I'm taking a million different things, yeah. um, including boron, um, silicon, collagen, vitamin D slash K2. And which actually I was thinking as well, Chad, that you know, in New Zealand, we don't, the, the, during winter, we don't get those UVB rays that help us synthesize vitamin D. Sure. But not very many people are on a vitamin D supplement. So I wonder, you know, that could potentially uh, influence what we see in the statistics of osteoporosis too, potentially. Well, that, that's an excellent point. And, and the question is always, can I get it through my diet? I've lived this long without um, taking a supplement. So uh, what's, what's wrong with that? But, it, but um, a healthy diet is the fundamental thing with lots of fruits and vegetables. And we don't get enough nuts and dried fruit, but uh, boron is in nuts and dried fruit. So if you're eating prunes and other things, then um, then you may not need a boron supplement. But um, and, and you can't, you don't want to overdo the supplements. The, um, there's no need to, but um, you, were, you were saying that those things, I do think that supplements can help. And vitamin D is perhaps the most obvious supplement because we really don't get enough. And vitamin D has so many other properties that it's shown that a vitamin D3 supplement can have many other benefits besides that. Um, a study of, when you look at people who come in the hospital, um, the someone who has a, a broken hip, about 75% of those people are insufficient vitamin D. And um, half our population in the United States is is deficient or insufficient vitamin D. And it, it has a lot of things to do with uh, muscle strength and and depression, general aches and pains. So we really we probably can't take enough vitamin D in from our food unless you're eating um, wild salmon three days three days a week. And actually, I'll tell you another interesting thing you're probably aware of is mushrooms. Um, you know, if you if you put mushrooms in the sun, they'll make vitamin D. Yeah, so. Uh, if you take your mushrooms even from the store and leave them in the sun, they'll make vitamin D, and then you can eat the mushrooms. They have vitamin D, but you you really you almost cannot get enough vitamin D from diet. You can get enough of most of the other elements from diet. So, Chad, with regards to calcium, I find it really interesting because you know in in New Zealand, so they did a review of the recommended dietary intake for calcium, I believe in 2006, and they changed their recommendation from, I believe, 800 to 1,000 milligrams a day, um, which actually then just placed a whole, you know, a whole uh, larger sort of proportion of the population was sort of deficient or had insufficient intakes of calcium. And, and, but then to supplement with calcium might not necessarily be, I'm unsure of where the state of the evidence is actually with regards to calcium supplementation and bone, because of course, I believe a few years ago, there was some uh, concern that taking additional calcium by itself could lead to an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. So where is the evidence for calcium supplementation in of itself? Well, um, I'm not a big enthusiast for calcium. The, after you get over uh, 600 milligrams a day, it really depends on everything else. And so forcing a lot of calcium 
like I said, that seems like the obvious thing to do. But uh, if you don't have an adequate amount of vitamin D and and vitamin K two and other things, then you're not calcium is not getting to the right place. The, when you you look at um, DEXA scans, for example, like I said, that's different than looking at fracture rates. And fracture rates actually go up if you're taking more than 2,000 milligrams of calcium a day. So your bones can become too brittle. There's a sweet spot for calcium between 600 and about 1,500 milligrams a day. Now, um, if you're if you're taking a lot of calcium supplement, you may actually be detrimental because you're making your bone like chalk, and then it becomes more brittle. So, I, I as a medical student, I participated in a research study at um, at the NASA facility in Houston, in which uh, we first determined that. Um, High salt diets can leach calcium from your bone because in order to get rid of salt in your kidneys, it takes calcium with it. And so the astronauts all had a low calcium, low salt diet to help protect their um, their bone from the osteoporosis or weightlessness. I, I had a I had a chance to discuss that with uh, Commander Lovell, who commanded Apollo thirteen. And uh, oh wow, uh, yeah, and and uh, he he said, uh, well, we were worried about other things in our bone. That's when they ran out of oxygen. The oxygen tank exploded, and they almost didn't make it back from the moon. But he said we weren't too worried about our bones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had uh, competing priorities. Yes, exactly. I suppose you could you could call it. Um, Chad, you've mentioned protein as one of the sort of um, the things that people often overlook with bone, and and I do want to chat about um, collagen as well because there is a recent rise in, in sort of collagen supplementation is is quite popular. But uh, do you do you think that the sort of protein intakes have um, impacted on bone health in the last, or I don't know, however many years? Like, is that impacting on what we see with osteoporosis, osteopenia rates? That's an excellent point. And it, it's often so obviously, uh, you know, you say, well, I eat a lot of meat or I eat a lot of stuff and it's it's overlooked. So yes. Uh, and as we grow older, um, we tend to eat less protein. I'm constantly after my wife to eat more protein because uh, she just doesn't consume enough. She gets it's it satisfies her with a bite or two, and she's done. One of the misconceptions, as you know, is that meat itself is not one hundred percent protein. It's only about fifty percent protein. So it's you have to have the the actual protein, and uh, you know there's more protein in eggs and and taking collagen and those things to think uh, collagen's a protein. And it gets into your body, and it gets digested, and it breaks it down to the amino acids, and then has to be built back. So to think that you could eat collagen, and the collagen goes straight to your bones, or your hair, or your skin, or your nails, is a little bit faulty thinking, because the collagen gets digested, it goes through your liver, has to be rebuilt. Now, collagen does have the amino acids that you need for collagen, but it doesn't go straight to your bones. It's just another form of protein. So. Uh, any type of protein is is helpful protein supplements whey protein and those kind of things so yes i think i think most uh men but certainly women tend to be the culprits who don't eat enough protein more than men um yeah could use a protein supplement in addition to other things and that's a good example of how it's not all about vitamin d and calcium it's it's the whole mix yeah Absolutely. And I, you know, I talk to a lot of vegetarian and vegan clients, actually, who would really struggle to get the protein that they need. Yes. Um, uh, because their diet, because of the sort of exclusion of of animal protein, and and oftentimes, well, I, I mean, I don't know whether I don't I'd be interested to know what you think about this, but I recommend that they take like an essential amino drink in addition to the protein that they sort of might eat, just for that increased. Right, available amino acids. Well, vegans. Um, I'm not a vegan, so I'm not as up on that as others. But they do tend to be uh, insufficient in protein and zinc. But other other groups aren't. And so, if you take zinc oxide, you're not getting it. Magnesium is an important mineral too. We haven't talked about that, but magnesium is more important for the uh, spongy bone for your spine. Um, it it has higher content in your vertebra column. 
than in your hips. So uh, there are differences there. And the magnesium that's in, in most things is magnesium oxide, which is only 4% of it gets into your blood. So uh, you could take, you know, so if you're taking magnesium, it should be other forms. And there is milk and uh, there's magnesium in milk and avocados and uh, a lot of different foods. Mm. Although, and I, as I understand, we used to have more magnesium in in our food supply, but with the soil and and just how things are True. growing, or the yeah the 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 quality of the soil isn't necessarily as good um, as it once was either. I I imagine. Well, the and the stimulation, you know, the the way we grow food today, the particularly the non organic foods um, have about. You know, they have about half the nutritional content. A, a ear of corn 50 years ago had a lot more nutritional value than, and maybe less sugar content, but it had more of the soil minerals in it than there are today. The soils have been so overworked, and with the stimulation from um, the, the things that make the food grow fast, the fast growing juicy lettuces and all those things don't have nearly the nutritional content they did before. And even since you bring that up, as you know, farm raised, farm raised salmon has considerably less vitamin D than wild-caught salmon. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, and what do you have an opinion, Chad, about like the modern diet? Because I always think about food as opportunity cost. And so in addition to the fact that sort of the foods we eat might not contain the nutrients that they once did, um, in addition to that, a lot of the food we eat is more processed and refined uh, and could potentially does it does the potential inflammatory trigger from some things is that going to be harmful for our for our bones or is inflammation in general harmful for well, our well I, I couldn't really comment on inflammation inflammation and and the diet from the different things that are in it but um, one one paper a suggestion has been that part of our obesity crisis is that the foods are, are the processed foods and the foods that are grown by rapid uh, large scale production are insufficient in vitamins and minerals so we have we may have a nutritional hunger that's unrecognized eating as you know years ago people ate all whole grains and whole meats and they cooked at home and they had a lot of whole foods and so um, you do wonder what's happened uh, obesity is probably not all about self-control it may be about uh, just nutritional insufficiency that makes you hungry for from you got to eat more you got to eat more corn to get the number of vitamins you need yeah, you gotta eat more, yeah, sure. more potatoes, more everything to get adequate nutrition. The other, another thing about vitamin D is that it's uh, it's fat soluble. So that if if a person is overweight, then the vitamin D is often goes straight into their fat, and it's harder for an obese person to get their vitamin D levels up than uh, for a, a thin person. Yes. I, I remember reading that and it's, you know, here in New Zealand, there's regulation on the amount of vitamin D that we are actually, we're able to buy over the counter. Oh, really? And yeah, so it's 1,000 international units, which I, I do believe in your paper, I was just reading yesterday, that that's a recommendation could be to have 1,000 international sort of units of, of vitamin D. Um, and very few supplements, more more in the States, because I actually buy a, a higher dose vitamin D anyway, but um, very few of the supplements actually have that K2 added, which... Um, you were you were talking about before as being really critical to sort of allowing vitamin D to sort of get to where it needs to be. Well, um, taking a boron supplement or eating prunes or dried fruit can uh, can like I say that can double the half life of vitamin D so that it lasts longer and you get higher levels. So if you can't get enough vitamin D, then you could supplement yourself with some boron, and that'll make the vitamin D hang around longer and be more higher level. But um, that's interesting that it's a thousand because in the United States, the what they call the upper safe level is four thousand international units a day, and in the European uh, Drug Commission says it's six thousand. So it depends on where you are. And the uh, Endocrine Society for the United States recommends fifteen hundred international units of supplement every day for every human being. The um, oh wow yeah they they think that fifteen hundred supplement is the optimum amount, and it's well within the safe level. 
the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends vitamin D supplementation for all children beginning at one month of age. And uh, it's uh, 600 international units for babies. So um, there's there's a lot of recommendation. And yet, uh, probably a third, only a third of the people in the United States take a vitamin D supplement. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Chad, why the what what is the problem with too high vitamin D levels? Well, if you get extremely high levels, then you do get uh, some problems. They can cause some problems with your endocrine system and so forth. But um, so you don't want to take too much. But I really I'm surprised that a thousand seems kind of low. The recommendation, uh, the general recommendation for that came out of the United States Preventive Services Task Force a few years ago, there was a headline that said. Vitamin D and calcium, uh, not good for bone. But when you read the original paper, what it said was that the recommendation for 500 units of vitamin D and 1,000 milligrams of calcium was not adequate. So that U.S., the, we call it the United States Preventive Services Task Force, recommended 1,200 international units of vitamin D a day. So they didn't say it wasn't good. They said you weren't giving enough. And that the studies that were done with 500 or 800 units were not enough, that you needed to give 12. And um, and then they also recommended 500 milligrams of, of calcium a day because you're getting calcium from other things. And, and a five, I really think 500 uh, milligrams a day supplement, supplement we're talking about of calcium is enough. Yes. So we're so outside of dairy products. If someone can't, um, if someone is intolerant to dairy and and, and can't uh, have it, where else would we find calcium in the diet? No, if you can't eat dairy, I'd be hard pressed. I'd have to look at that to see. Um, so if you if you can't eat dairy, then you should take some extra. That's for sure. So if you're lactose intolerant, um, then it would make sense to take it. We become more lactose intolerant as we age. Um, babies, most babies make lactase, which is to just milk. And as we get older, uh, we find that um, the processed foods like yogurt, cheese, uh, and um, have the, the lactose has been altered a little bit so we can tolerate it better. And there's plenty of, but there's plenty of calcium in lactose free milk, which you can get. Yeah, that's true. Not, yeah, for yeah. sure. And there is in nut, nuts. Yes, yes, and in fact, I've, what I've seen someone recommend is egg shells that you uh, that you you make into a dust, actually, um, and that's got a significant um, amount of calcium. I've not tried that myself with my egg shells, shells? but uh, yeah, the actual shells. What kind these of are, these are? These uh, are egg egg shells. So just crack open an egg, eat the egg, eat the ground down the shell. Yeah. Eat the calcium. Eat the eat the shell. I don't know. Okay. And, uh, yeah, innovative. The shells shell um, probably have silicon in them because uh, there's silicon in bamboo and some other stuff. But yes, bamboo of shoots. Yes. Things. Um, I often um, like I think about um, Asian countries where where they don't consume a lot of dairy, and but there are some Asian countries which have um, uh, sort of fermented. I believe fermented tofu, like tempeh, might have some K two added actually, and but they have this thing called natto, this yeah, um, right, which is yes, and I believe that's a very good source of K two, which is uh, you know going to be helpful with the little amount of calcium that you might get from bones and and fish and things like that. Right now, K two um, to talk about that a little bit. There's K one and K two, and K K one is the vitamin K that's in leafy green vegetables, and that's different. That's different from, um, you know, that's different from K2. They're really two completely different vitamins. And if you talk to your orthopedic surgeon and you're on Coumadin or some blood thinner, they may say, well, don't take vitamin K because it'll interfere with coagulation. But K2 doesn't interfere with coagulation, so you can take it. And um, K2 is, if, if uh, K2 is rich, it's rich in um, dark meat of, Turkey yeah. and chicken, the mm -hmm. dark meat, and it's rich in in dairy products made from grass fed cows. Ah, so butter yes. and it's fat soluble. So you can eat butter now, but the yeah. uh, <laughs> butter from grass fed cows is the best. And what happens is K one 
is in leafy green vegetables. And there's a gut microbiome or gut organisms that convert K1 to K2. And so uh, if you've taken antibiotics, you're not going to convert K1 to K2. And that's important for bone healing. So if you've had antibiotics after surgery or something like that, then you definitely want to restore your gut microbiome. But what happens is the cows eat grass and they convert K1 to K2 and and put it in the milk and in the butter. But the grain-fed yeah, cows, the grain-fed cows don't have any K1 to work with. So interesting, of course. Yeah. So uh you can yeah. get a lot of K2 from butter. Like so now you're going to have to drink yeah. beer and eat rich, eat rich <laughs> butter and um the uh the the French for example have a lot of artisanal cheeses and things like that and most of their butters and cheeses are made from uh grass-fed cows, the better ones, more expensive ones. And there's a very low the, France has a very low risk of um osteoporosis and heart disease compared to the rest of the world. It's uh, considerably less common in France. They also have a lot of silicated water and more K2 in their diets. They eat a lot of butter. You would think that butter would cause heart attacks, but the K2 actually improves your resistance to heart attacks as well as your resistance to fractures. So there's a lot of reason to take K2. Now, K2 is is hard to process into a pill form. So it's, it's an oily... It requires an oily thing like vitamin D3. So um, most of your vitamin supplements don't put K2 in it because it's expensive. It's very expensive, and um, and it's hard to put into a capsule well, along with other things. You can make it like vitamin D often comes as a specific gel capsule. Yeah. It doesn't, yeah. There's some in other ones, but um, it's hard to process. So. You almost anyway. K two is very interesting to me, like silicon. So it's hard to get those. And those are just two that drink your beer and eat your butter. Eat your butter. You're a doctor. I can get behind, <laughs> uh, Chad. That's excellent advice. Um, and then, of course, one other topic which I'd just love to hear your opinion on is, of course, exercise. Because oh yeah, you know we we are an increasingly sedentary population, um, but. As you you know, it's such a um, an important part of maintaining our health and longevity. And I wonder just how much our lack of activity is playing into these increasing sort of uh, rates of osteopenia and osteoporosis. So, do we oh, have information around that? Absolutely. No, I mean I think that's that's quite clear, and uh, and I, you're you're right on target with that. The question is what type of exercise, and surprisingly, walking is not all that great for your bones. Um, oh, interesting. Walking's not that great for your bones. Uh, people that run a lot tend to get nutritionally deficient in boron and magnesium in particular. But um, what you need is the compressive exercise. And there's a, there's an exercise that's uh, simple to do that has been shown to increase bone density, and that is called a heel drop, where you uh, you stand up on your tiptoes and then you drop down and land kind of hard and just sort of, sort of jolt yourself a little bit on the ground so that you get a compression. Now, you don't want to jolt yourself so much that you get a compression fracture of your spine, but you you jar yourself a little bit. So you raise up on your toes and just kind of let go and drop as, as much as you can tolerate. And if you do uh, 50 of those a, a day or even three times a week, it improves your bone density. So it doesn't require a lot. So skipping would be an option. Stepping. Then that's essentially... Skipping, like with skipping. a skip rope, exactly. The jump rope, skipping, yeah. jumping, yeah. Uh, those kind of things are are better. Walking's good. Don't don't get me wrong. It, walking's great, but mm. Um, mm -hmm. but swimming and those kind of things. There are better exercises. Tennis um, is really good for bones. Those kind of uh, stop start, the stop start kind of things. The mechanism in our walking, yeah. Yeah, and I understand that resistance training with the stress that sort of stresses the bone and muscle and that tension between the two, um, between the two tissue is is bone strengthening as 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 well. Right. All all the exercises that use your muscles compress the bone. So uh, yeah, any yeah. any exercise is good. And uh, as the physical therapists say, if it if it's physical, it's therapy. And so oh, I love it. <laughs> if it's physical. It's therapy. So it's there's therapy. a lot of truth to that. 
Yeah. Um, Chad, now, can I ask uh, your wife's osteoporosis, like, have you been able to sort of determine the progression of that over the years with the, the things that you've helped her put in place? Well, interestingly, um, my, I have other relatives too, and one who had severe osteoporosis had five fractures, fragility fractures, we call them my sister-in-law. And um, she's, uh, but since she's been working on the nutrition that I told her about for the last uh, eight or nine years, she calls me regularly and says, I took a horrible fall yesterday. I, I had to go to the hospital and get stitches, but I didn't break anything. And so there's a lot of anecdotal information that um, the the bone density, my wife's bone density has not changed. It has not gotten better. It's not gotten worse. But she's also taken some falls and not broken anything. So once again, the DEXA scan is an artificial measurement. Uh, it is a measurement of the calcium content of your bone, but it doesn't tell you the toughness or resilience of your bone. So the answer is there's not a real way to tell if you're improving. But um, if you will do those things and try to take some, some in addition to calcium and, and vitamin D, they're critically important. But if you do some other things too, like the silicon, the vitamin K2, some boron, there's something called inositol. That we haven't talked I've about. I've heard of inositol. Inositol no, used, yes. used to be called vitamin B3, but uh, we can manufacture inositol a little bit. And what inositol does is it facilitates transfer of calcium across cell membranes. So animals, that's, that's again why 500 milligrams of calcium is enough if you take some inositol, and I forget what it's in, it's in it's in uh, cantaloupe, and I think it's in uh, some other. It's not not much in our diet actually, but um, but you can buy it myoinositol. You don't need a lot. Yeah, myoinositol. Yeah, but it it improves the mineralization of bone. There are studies in experimental animals that show that if you give an animal vitamin D and calcium and inositol, the inositol improves their mineralization by forty four percent. So the ones that don't, That's amazing. the ones that don't get inositol, and and our our diets tend to be inadequate in inositol. So if if you add some uh, silicon in the water, some vitamin K two, whether it's butter or supplement, and some inositol, some boron, uh, those are four things that you could add that will help. And there are other things too, and those improve your bone. Um, resistance your resistance to fractures it might not improve your dexa scan but it'll make it so you can bounce better and that's the thing right that you might not see it on the scan but if you fall and you don't get a break then that is proof in itself yeah. that these dietary strategies are contributing to better bone health right. even if you can't see it so if you look at absolute fracture rate the fracture rate goes down when you do these things even though the bone density may not go down and another thing for you, uh, you've had a fracture of a minor bone and probably was a, a significant fall. But on the other hand, anyone who's had a fracture after the age of 25 has an incredibly increased risk of additional fracture because when you heal a broken bone, it takes minerals from your other bones to heal it. Yes. So uh, if someone breaks their leg, uh, you can measure a loss of calcium in the opposite leg while that one's healing. So anyone who has a broken hip on one side has a much, much higher risk of broken hip on the other. It's not just because they're at risk. It's because their other hip loses density. So I would say that any of your listeners who've had a broken bone um, need to really take their uh, bone health seriously. If you've never had a broken bone, you're better off. But that first one can create a cascade effect that generates additional broken bones. Yeah, and that is definitely something that was in my mind when I was researching and getting all the things, um, being the best student ever, actually, for helping with, with so all of the supplements that you mentioned, other than inositol, are I, I'm just taking, because I figure now's the time to do this right. whilst I'm healing, yeah. Well, and it's not—it's never too late. Uh, it would be better to start when you're a teenager, for sure. But uh, it's kind of hard to go back and do that uh, for most yeah. of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but you can—you can look forward. You're right. It's—it's—it's it's, it's 
too. It, there is a point in time when it is too late, but we're not going to know about that. But at, but at you can you can make a big way. difference in adulthood. Uh, the literature is quite clear that if you do these things as an adult, that you can decrease your fracture risk. And of course, the other thing, if we're talking about fractures, is to you know fracture proof your house, get rid of the throw rugs, make sure you've got some light at night. Um, you can do some balancing exercises. Simple balancing exercises um, are just practice standing on one leg, uh, practice getting up out of a chair without pushing or holding on. You know, when you're standing around, try to stand on one leg as long as you can or stand on the other leg. Um, you can practice your balance in simple ways. And I, th- I feel like, Chad, you've given ple- people plenty of um those practical tips, but also hope as well, because when someone gets a diagnosis of osteopenia, osteoporosis, it can feel, uh, you can feel a little bit hopeless, actually. So to know that there are steps you can take that helps delay progression and potentially improve, I feel like that's um, really encouraging. Yeah. If you do have a fracture, like a hip fracture, there's some um not all doctors do this, but you mentioned the 1,000 uh, unit level, but uh, they should, if you have a fracture and you go in the hospital, they ought to measure your vitamin D level at the same time. And uh, following a hip fracture, the women who've got an infusion, who've had an infusion in the hospital of 50,000 units of vitamin D do better long-term than the ones that didn't. So, Amazing. Um, the vitamin D is, is clearly something that can help that if you've had a fracture. Yeah, that is amazing, Chad. Thank you. So um, finally, um, you are a wealth of information. I really enjoyed reading your papers around bone health and and really um, I learned a lot. Can you let people know where they can find you on the internet? And of course, we'll pop it in the show notes as well. Wow. Um, I don't know if there is a place, quite frankly. Um... <laughs> I'm not sure how I found you, actually. Well, uh, I think ago... I... Uh, I... Uh, all right, I'll, I'll tell you the story, but I didn't want to promote a product. But years ago, uh, because of all this, I had bottles of different things for my wife. And uh, so I created a product that um, that had all those things in it. And we created a nutritional supplement company. And I did have a financial interest. And my, my goal, actually, I'd taken it to a number of companies and said, look, here's a product that will help people with bone health. Will you make it? And I couldn't get anyone to do it. And so uh, uh, some orthopedic friends of mine, we put some money together and we made a we made a product, we had it produced, we had a website and uh, we sold it. And when the company became profitable, not not fabulously wealthy, but once it reached a profitable breakpoint, we were able to turn the turn it over to another company that's continued to sell that product. And uh, amazing. And that. That company is uh, Divine Health. It's called Silical, S-I-L-I-C-A-L. And the, yes. all that information is on the website. So when we turned it over to them, I said, you know, this has been maybe seven or eight years ago. They still sell it. And it's called yeah. Dr. Colbert's product, which is fine. Um, yes. And I, it's fine with me. Uh, I got what I wanted out of it, uh, that my wife has a product. My friends have a product. We have a product. And... Uh, and I don't get any money or any credit, and that's that's fine with me. I really did have altruistic interest in in putting that out there. It's it's expensive because it's hard to make those things. So mm-hmm. it's an expensive product. But that that website, I think it's still called the Institute for Better Bone Health. The Institute for Better Bone it is, Health, yeah, maybe where you found it. It's operated by Divine yeah, Health. Yeah, I think uh, it is. I may still be on it, or maybe all about Dr. Colbert now. But it's the Institute for Better Bone Health. And um, amazing. So I'm I'm not in the business. I've got other things to do. Yeah, you've got yeah. That's wonderful, Chad. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciated talking to you, and I've learned so much from your work. And I really thank you for that. So thank you. Well, I appreciate what you're doing and bringing this information to the public. It's it's so important for health. Yeah, completely. Thank agree. you so much. I've enjoyed talking to you. Bye bye. Alrighty, so I came across Dr. Price as I'm sure that you can appreciate after I broke my bone earlier this year. So it was really great to do a bit of a deep dive and sort of check off a lot of the things that I'm doing 
in relation to some of his recommendations. So yeah, it was really it was a really good opportunity to do that. All right, team. So you have a great week, and. Next week on the podcast, I speak to Tommy Wood, who has been on the show before. This time, we talk about brain health. So that'll be a great interview. Until next week, though, you can catch me over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition, over on Instagram and Twitter at Mickey Willardin, or head to my website, mickeywillardin.com, where you can sign up to one of my meal plans or book a one-on-one call with me. All right, team, you have a great week. Talk soon. Bye.